Welcome to Suspending the Rules, Bloomberg Government's weekly look at what's happening in Congress. Immigration will be front and center on the agenda as lawmakers return to Washington this week. The House is scheduled to take up the American Dream and Promise Act, a bill that would make more than 2 million immigrants who came to the country illegally as children eligible for green cards and eventually citizenship. Welcome to Suspending the Rules from Bloomberg Government. I'm Adam Shank. And I'm Danielle Parnas. The House is also scheduled to take up a number of bills under suspension of the rules, the procedure generally reserved for non-controversial bills, including to provide disaster aid, extend the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program, reauthorize pandemic response programs, and address ocean acidification. On this episode, though, we will focus on the immigration debate, which follows President Trump's announcement that he will impose tariffs on Mexico in an attempt to curb the numbers of Central American migrants crossing into the U.S., here to break down the immigration debate for us are BGov Homeland Security reporter Michaela Ross and legislative analyst Adam Taylor. Hi. Hi, good to be here. So let's start with the with the border crisis and sort of the context for the debate. Michaela, you recently traveled to the border. Talk to us about what's going on there. Yeah, there is some really striking uh, numbers going on at the border right now. And of course, we're looking at this as a larger piece of legislation uh, for DREAMers that has been going on for years. But even in that time, we've from 2017, when DACA was first uh, repealed by Trump, till now, we've seen a, a big increase in the number of people coming over. So that's definitely going to uh, come into play here as we see this debate open up. So in 2017 in May, um, acting DHS, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McAleenan said they were getting about 700 people apprehended crossing the border uh, each day. Now that number is about 4,500. So that number has really come up very starkly. They're expecting about a million people uh, to be apprehended at the southwest border in the U.S. this year. And a lot of those are women and children. Why is this so challenging? Um, these aren't even the highest numbers on record, correct? Yes. Uh, so there's been two other points at least where there's been, you know, about uh, 1.6 million people apprehended uh, in that uh, in a year period. So these aren't as high as the highest numbers get. However, McLean was uh, just saying over the last few days that they are expecting this number to be as high as it's been in 12 years. And the reason it's stressing resources so much is because there are so many of these families and children that are coming. So uh, he commented that. 400 children were apprehended in 24 hours alone um, last Thursday, I believe, or Wednesday, one of those days towards the end of, of last week. So about border agents who are already short are spending about 40 percent of their time caring for these migrants. So it's really taking a lot of time out of policing the border and uh, time to process them. And a lot of these families are coming from Central American countries, especially in the Northern Triangle, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, and they're seeking asylum here. They're not just trying to sneak in across the border. They're presenting themselves in in many cases, to Border Patrol and saying, we would like asylum in the U.S., which triggers a court process, essentially a screening process that then goes to an immigration judge. And that takes a lot of time, and they have to either be detained or found a home while that's happening. And to your point, as, as they are coming from Central America, a lot of those folks uh, do not speak Spanish even. There's a lot of indigenous languages. There's a lot of diseases that have, haven't been present. So there's just more that goes into actually processing them through medically and through the immigration courts. What has the fallout been from the Trump administration's policies? And, and talk a little bit more about the, the family separation issue. This has obviously been a part of a huge part of the Democrats' 
critique of the administration. Um, immigration advocates are, are very um, opposed to the policy and have been very vocal in, in their criticism. Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so there's been uh, about a year ago now was when the Trump administration implemented its zero tolerance policy, which has since been ended, um, that led to the separation of several thousand uh, families with their children. And that, of course, caused a great outcry and it caused a lot of opposition from Democrats to that policy. We're seeing some groups now say that because of that policy, that might be one of the reasons that we're seeing the, uh, a surge now, uh, because smuggling networks, there's very extensive smuggling networks throughout Mexico and Central America, uh, and they're advertising to these folks, hey, if you bring a child, there's not a lot of time left, you can get into the U.S. Um, and you'll, you'll be good. They've ended this you know, family separation policy. So there's some folks that say that that's one of the reasons that that's driving it. Some folks say, of course, there's been drought in the region for years that's uh, driving down on coffee prices and crop prices and um, other folks are pointing to other poll factors they call them or uh, loopholes in U.S. laws that allow families to only be detained for uh, 20 days for example because they have a child so there's a legal agreement about how long that child can be held so all of these factors are coming together and at the same time kind of causing a perfect storm at a time when the border patrol is already thousands of agents short. And so talk to us about, you know, immigration enforcement and changes that we've seen there under the Trump administration, uh, specifically with things like DACA and um, the other programs that the bill that the House is taking up this week would address. Yeah, so DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, was started by President Barack Obama in 2012. And as Michaela said, in 2017, President Trump announced that he would be ending that some court challenges led to a situation where current recipients can continue to renew, but they won't accept new applications until uh, the Supreme Court uh, essentially rules and this, uh, on Trump's action to, to end the program. President Trump had some of his earlier immigration moves, the, the Muslim ban, et cetera, overturned by courts. And this one is potentially in that line, but the Supreme Court hasn't said whether it will take up the case at all, let alone when it will come to a decision. President Trump announced the end of that. He also announced the end of TPS and DED, uh, which stand for Temporary Protected Status and Deferred Enforced Departure. These are essentially programs that allow people to come to the U.S. and stay here with work authorization if their home countries are in unrest due to violence or uh, natural disaster, and there's, it's just not a safe place to return, but it doesn't quite rise to asylum. So they get a, a special category uh, for those countries. President Trump announced the end of that. And just like DACA, there have been lawsuits and they're kind of in a, a holding pattern right now as well. So let's talk about the bill then. H.R. 6, 6 combines the the DREAM Act with another measure to address those programs, like Danielle said. What does it actually do? So it's basically an expanded version of the DREAM Act, which has been floating around since it was first introduced in 2001 by then-Senator Orrin Hatch, a Republican from Utah. It would extend a pathway to citizenship for more than two million people who came to the country illegally as children. They're often called DREAMers uh, because of the name of this act. The bill has a somewhat broader age and date of arrival eligibility criteria than DACA does. And unlike DACA, it would provide full legal status, not just protection from deportation. The way it would work essentially is they would receive conditional green cards, which have a lot of the benefits of full-on permanent residency, but they could be taken away if they haven't been converted and the person stops being eligible. What would stop a person from being eligible under the program? If they commit certain types of crime, domestic violence crimes or, or felonies or three misdemeanors during their time in the U.S., 
that would essentially strip them of eligibility. They could have the conditional tag removed through work history, through education, if they earn a degree, for instance, or if they serve two years in the U.S. military without a dishonorable discharge, they'd be eligible for full green cards that would not be conditional. And that provides them a pathway to citizenship. About generally five years after you receive a green card, you can apply for citizenship, and they would get credit for any time spent in the conditional status as well. So it would almost be an accelerated path to citizenship. And this is a similar framework for the TPS and and DED programs as well? Yeah, they wouldn't have a conditional status. They would, if they were here for three years before the bill was passed and in good standing with TPS or DED, they would be eligible to apply for a green card on the spot. And once they receive the green card, be the they would be on the normal path to full citizenship. And so what's, you know, sort of the outlook of this bill? Obviously, this is Democrats' priorities. It's H.R. 6, one of the first 10 bills reserved for leadership. But where do you see this going potentially uh, in the Senate or beyond? So the House Judiciary Committee approved both parts of H.R. 6, the the DREAM Act part and the American Promise Act part, which is the TPSDED sections. They approved them on party line votes last week. And there probably won't be a lot of crossover on the House floor, largely because Republicans are focused on other aspects, and many of them view this as amnesty for illegal immigration. So the the Senate probably won't be taking them up because they're also focused on these other issues. But uh, who knows? I mean, if recent history is any guide, we've seen kind of immigration compromises where you pair wall funding with the DREAM Act or with a temporary DACA extension or even with Republican wish list uh, on, on legal immigration, and none of them were able to pass either the House or the Senate. So it's it's tough to see a road ahead for, for this particular bill. Yeah, and that said, we did see, though, in March, both uh, Senators uh, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and Dick Durbin reintroduced the DREAM Act uh, in the exact version that, that, that they did uh, in the prior Congress. So there is interest in a bipartisan fashion in the Senate. But the fact that this bill is originating in the House as a leadership bill in itself is going to create a challenge for uh, Senate leader Mitch McConnell to take it up. Yeah, and he said he won't push any immigration legislation that doesn't have President Trump's support. And I I haven't heard President Trump speak on on this particular bill, but especially with an election coming, with uh, this being a, a big Democratic priority, it's hard to see him getting behind it. So you mentioned the Republicans' wish list and a couple, like just recently, Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and advisor, um, released a a sort of outline about their immigration priorities. What was in that outline and what are some of the Republican proposals for border security and immigration? We know that, you know, they're looking to sort of tamp down on the asylum claims for people coming from Central America, you know, fleeing the the violence there and the other factors that Michaela mentioned. What else is on their list? So yes, the plan that was introduced at the end of May in the Rose Garden that really was engineered um, by uh, Trump's son-in-law and advisor Jared Kushner, among others in the White House, uh, it's not being seen as a very quote-unquote serious plan. There's not text out yet, although we're expecting that soon, but it is an outline that kind of shows some priorities that could be some political messaging from the White House. And so it includes, for example, more of a focus on merit-based immigration. They want to raise the numbers of immigrants that are coming uh, to the U.S. each year from 12% to 57% based on the, their own assets, I guess, that they're, that they're bringing. Right now, about 70%, the White House is saying, is coming from family connections and the diversity lottery. So that's one focus of the, of the proposal. They're also talking about creating a permanent border security fund that would use revenues and fees from people coming 
coming into the country to make sure that a uh, the border wall is constructed as much many miles as as the president wants uh, to be constructed and then also for a future fund uh, for technology and other assets on the border to try to secure it and then lastly is yeah to to tighten that asylum process now that one is the real wild card what exactly do they mean by tightening the asylum process that's been something that's been debated amongst other Republican proposals as well so um, that could vary greatly depending on what uh, their final uh, legislative texts are so um, there's quite a bit coming from that proposal. Others we're seeing, though, uh, we had uh, Senator Lindsey Graham introduce his own proposal. And, uh, you know, he said that his is designed, unlike the White House, uh, to become law. Uh, it's got four major points. It wants to increase immigration judges. It wants to change legal agreements so that migrant children could be held longer in detention in order for their claims to be processed, about five times longer than now. He wants to end the ability of Central Americans to apply for asylum at the border, so it all have to be done in country instead of them, you know, coming to the U.S. border, and then also change a law that would allow for the de- deportation of unaccompanied kids to Central America with less screening, as is done with now currently with uh, Mexican children and uh, Canadian children that are coming here. So that's another bill uh, that's on the table that's got a lot of weight. Um, Senator John Cornyn paired up with uh, House Representative Henry uh, Cuellar to do their their own bill. That's another one on the table. So there's a lot of proposals flying around right now. Yeah, on the asylum front, uh, Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer is working on Uh, almost a a different angle on Senator Graham's bill, and it would expand U.S. capacity to process asylum claims in Central America, basically at U.S. consulates, but it wouldn't restrict the ability to apply for asylum at the border. It would try to proactively approach it without cutting it off here. Yes, and that bill has a lot of Democratic support. Uh, There's quite a few other provisions in there that would try to help restore aid to the region that uh, President Trump has called for a cut in and and has started to cut. So um, that's another aspect of that legislation. With the asylum claims, and you mentioned the backlog, how large is the backlog at at this point? And that's one thing I don't think we've really talked about yet is, you know, the support for uh, the sort of immigration court system and lawmakers seeking additional funds for that. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Sure. The immigration backlog has about has doubled in the last four years, fiscal years. And so now we're approaching about 900,000. Certainly the 35 day partial government shutdown delayed a lot of cases so that only exasperated uh, the situation. But it's almost a million cases at this point of people waiting uh, to have their asylum claims heard or their other immigration benefits heard. And that is a large stress on the system. Immigration judges, advocacy groups for legal system are saying that, you know, major changes need to be made, not just hiring new judges. Um, they're calling for changes for that to be completely separated from uh, the executive branch so that it can operate more like an independent court and hopefully clear up some of this backlog. But um, it's definitely where the bottleneck is as people are waiting between two and five years um, is what the numbers I've been hearing. Yeah, the average length has, has gone from about a year to, to more than two years now. We're also seeing President Trump uh, weigh into this debate with his recent announcement on tariffs related to the flow of Central American migrants into the country. How is that affecting um, this conversation and, and also, you know, separate ones about the, the new trade deal that he wants passed? So the, this proposal it starts off as a 5% tariff on all goods from Mexico that are coming into the U.S., and it's going to launch on June 10th. It'll escalate each month by 5%, either until it reaches 25% of the value of every good that crosses the border, or Mexico stops the flow of migrants through its country into the U.S. Mexico has responded by sending a delegation to Washington, and they'll, they'll meet with the White House this week. 
I, I don't have a, a prediction for what's going to happen from there. It definitely makes the entire debate more complex. Yeah, especially uh, when you put in, as, as Danielle said, the USMCA debate, which, which House Speaker Nancy Pelosi recently came out against and which does require congressional approval. So you have uh, a lot of things trying to stay up right now. Yeah, the, the news on the tariffs definitely met bipartisan opposition. There's a lot of business groups that are not happy about the idea. The uh, administration has been... Uh, they've said that Mick Mulvaney came on from the White House, came on to Fox News over the weekend, and said that they're they're purposefully trying to be a little bit vague and ad hoc. I think was the word words that he used in what the, exactly they want Mexico to do in response to this in order to end this plan for tariffs or end it. Um, although he's really expecting those tariffs to start on June 10th for the, at least the five percent. So they're saying that Mexico needs to step up its own interdiction, needs to be stopping migrants from coming across its border from with Guatemala, which is about a hundred. 150 miles, so much shorter. They're saying that they need to crack down on the smuggling networks, those uh, international cartels, and they need to make their country more safe for asylum seekers so that folks could stay there instead of coming to seek asylum in the U.S. All of those yeah, are, are pretty fluid and pretty vague, so it's unclear what exactly it's going to take for Mexico to stop this plan. Yeah, I think the, the only thing I would add there, too, is, you know, you mentioned the sort of democratic opposition to the deal, and it, it's not totally clear how opposed to the trade deal the Democrats are. I think most Democrats are in favor of having a free trade agreement in North America. I, I think their complaints are more about sort of specific provisions of the deal. Right. You know, so I, it is interesting. And, and then, Michaela, you raise a good point. And I, I think AMLO, the, the Mexican president, you know, said that they were going to pre- proceed as though the deal is in place. And, you know, we'll see what the delegation turns out, but it'll definitely be an interesting few weeks here for the the trade deal because the White House did send their plan over to Congress, which sort of starts a clock for it to be considered. Adam Taylor is a legislative analyst with Bloomberg Government, where Michaela Ross reports on Homeland Security. Find all their coverage on immigration and a lot more at bgov.com. That does it for us. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Suspending the Rules. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Find more on the subjects we discussed today and a whole lot more from Bloomberg Government at about.begov.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at BGov. The legislative analyst team is Sarah Babbage, Noreen Chowdhury, Danielle Parnas, Michael Smallberg, and me, Adam Taylor. Our editor is Adam Shank. Nico Anzalata is our sound engineer. Our theme music is Home Organ by Zach Nasita. More information on that can be found at premiumbeat.com. Hi there, I'm Amanda Icone, co-host of Talking Tax. Each week, we dig into the biggest tax and financial accounting challenges and opportunities from policy to on-the-ground realities. We bring you corporate leaders, accountants, and industry insiders. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. For more, check us out on news.bloombergtax.com.